with today's episode of Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Singer-songwriter Matt Marr joined us. Oh my goodness, it is. Who sings that again? Matt Marr. Let's keep it that way. He said something about the Bible that I've never heard. It involved walls and Gentiles. I have never heard this in my life. It was so fascinating. The guy is not only an incredible musician, but clearly knows the word of God. His whole desire on stage is to bring people into a close relationship and worship experience with the Lord. And clearly you could tell that that exists in his own personal life, just the way he shares. So, so. enjoy today's episode with Matt Marr. It is another version of anything but quiet time with Rochelle and Carter. <laughs> we brought somebody else with us to be loud. Yes. Matt Marr is yes. here, renowned singer, musician, renowned. piano renowned. and trombone player yeah. as well. So <laughs> he's, yes. he's laughing because he told us, what was the name of your teacher? <laughs> Mr. Conkey. Mr. Conkey looks at Matt's teeth. Hands and my teeth and said, you're a trombone player. Wow. And I, I never felt so like pegged before in my entire life. What's so funny is that every band director listening right now just went, yes. <laughs> Apparently. It's in the teeth yeah. and in the hands. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so what we do with the Anything But Quiet Time podcast, because I know you're new to this, Matt. Yes. We share a little bit about what's going on in our quiet time. Okay. And we just kind of hash it out and get it out there. And sometimes this is the place like if you f- sometimes you feel a little bit uh, Be- behind behind or you could feel even ashamed if you're in certain setting where you feel like everybody knows more than you do in, uh, about Jesus and or, or the Bible or whatever it is. No. Dropping the shame, leaving that at the door. Yeah. I know your wife actually wrote a book about she that. Did. And it's a children's book. And what is it called again? The Awfulizer. Because you feel awful and you so de- self-deprivation. <laughs> Self-deprecation, excuse me. Yeah. I'm going to go self-deprecate on the fact I can't talk right That's now. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of a, it sort of, it's a book about shame. You know, shame, uh, a modern understanding of the word shame is that guilt is I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Shame is I am a mistake. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shame is sort of the destructive, you know, sort of f- infinite feedback loop, if you will, mm-hmm. that comes um, sometimes not even from necessarily even doing something wrong, it could just be like, or it's just like something as simple as making a mistake. You're playing a sport and you fall down yeah. and you feel dumb. And then the next thing is like, well, you are dumb. Yeah. Mm. You're a failure. You're, you're a failure. You're, you know, and it's, that stuff starts really, really young. Oh and, yeah. Um, it, it's amazing how much it becomes part of people's inner, you know, monologues and narrative and they don't even consciously realize it. And then, and then those people become Christians, and that part of their thinking doesn't change. You know, Jesus never felt shame because he knew what constituted um, success. Yeah. You know? And he knew who he was. He knew yeah. who he was. And yeah. I want to get to that. Carter, you just pulled out your phone, which yeah. means he's got deep things well, and thoughts. Yes, I have this meme. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, most of us. I, uh, I, this, my pastor said this, uh, and I would, I would just love your thoughts because it's, it's pretty much what you said. The difference between guilt and conviction yeah. of God telling you something compared to yourself or the enemy telling you something. Uh, guilt says that's who you are. You're awful. Yeah. Conviction says that's not who you are. So let's drop it and, and move on. Um, Interesting. How do you tell the difference just yourself when you have that feeling, you have that, that voice telling you, about something you did, 
and it could be a sin or it could just be a thing, like you said, screwing up in a sporting event. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. How do you d- determine, is there a certain verse, is there a certain you know prayer that you're like, okay, I know that's not the voice of God? Well, you just have to test it ultimately against Scripture. You know, people always say, what does God's voice sound like? It sounds like his word. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Well, it, that's not a really big <laughs> leap in That's a pretty easy answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but but it's but it but it's amazing how like people will go through their own, you know, sort of narratives and yeah. self-reasoning and they never really test it. it. You have to test your thoughts against something. Mm-hmm. There there has to be a higher there has to be a greater authority than just your own self-revelation. And so yeah. That that like, you need something to throw a ball against the wall. You you need a wall. You know, and and it's uh, you got to choose your wall wisely. You really do. I mean, ultimately, if it's a social media page, you're in trouble. Yeah, mm. that's yeah. really interesting. So I, I'm reading about um, I'm reading the Bible chronologically, Matt. Oh wow, which has been I probably will never do this again. I've shared this in past podcasts just because it's a lot of Old Testament right up front. Because well, that's the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes. Real heavy on the front end. Why couldn't you have read it like the Star Wars version? Let's start over here. We'll go back later. That's pretty much every Bible study for the past 40 years. Right. Right. But I went the old-fashioned way. Let's start at the beginning. But you don't go cover to cover. You jump around a lot because chronologically, the timeline, it doesn't necessarily—this is the way they bound the book, 66 books, but it isn't necessarily the way it would have landed timeline-wise, which is fascinating. But I am finally, I finally got to Jesus. I'm like, I need redemption. Where is he? There he is. So now I'm, I'm right there in the story uh, where he, he lays down his life for us mm. willingly and beautifully and, and horrifically all at the same time and hope embodied right there on that cross and then resurrected for me. But it's the moments before that, that laying down of his life, he has this incredible moment with Pontius Pilate and he is but Pontius Pilate was the governor of that that particular area mm-hmm. and he did it for a decade or so and i don't know you can derive conclusions if you want as a child you always think he's the bad guy cuz he's Pontius Pilate and he's the one who ordered Jesus crucified then there's a sympathetic part of me that's like well what would i have done if i was in his shoes or but he has this conversation with Jesus and he's blown away by his silence which makes you wonder, well, what was everybody else who was in his court? What did, what did they act like? Right. But Jesus was quiet, and when he would ask him direct questions, I mean, he, he would give him one-line answers, basically, and, uh, are you the son of God? Well, you say that I am. <laughs> and I think he would have probably been used to, like, a whole string of insults, or maybe it was just a, I have my whole defense right here, ready to go, don't kill me, but Jesus didn't give him any of those things. Don't you know that I have the power to save you or to kill you right now. And Jesus just quickly and simply, you wouldn't have it if my father hadn't made it so. Mm. And then this is the part that I think it must have trumped. What what kind of, of thought processes had Pontius Pilate before meeting the person who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? What kind of life did Pontius Pilate have before meeting Jesus where he would question what truth looked like? Because when Jesus said, I am truth, everybody knows my voice, Pontius Pilate was, what is the truth? That he got hung up on. And I recently saw this movie uh, about the life of, well, 
Tanya Harding. Now, I'm not recommending this film necessarily. It, it's, it has a lot of profanity in it. But it was fascinating to watch at the very end of the film after this woman who dealt with a lot of hardship in terms of how she was raised as a child, a lot of abuse. Uh, she says that it's all baloney. Yeah. There is no truth. Right. And I thought immediately the words of Jesus, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. And I thought, well, that's so much. That's so true of everything. I get my truth I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Mm. See, the world represents truth as a certain way. You have to stand, a, you have to sit a certain way, walk a certain way, be a certain way in front of the cameras, present a certain facade. And as long as you do it in the right way, you can be so honest, you know, so much, um, but not too much. Uh, and that's true with anything. We don't really know about love until Jesus presented what love looked like. Mm. We don't know about joy. We, we don't know what real happiness is. It is. It's that joy that you can have in the midst of great sorrow and grief. Mm. So th- that's kind of where I landed. I thought it was amazing when I heard those words in this film portraying Tanya. And I thought, you know, she's right. She said truth is baloney because in maybe in that moment in her life, and I hope that things have changed since then. And again, this was a movie, so I don't really know what she would tell us in this moment. Right. But let's say that was for real. She really meant those things. She said those things and they were just um, putting it in the film. And she she is correct. What the world would establish as honesty and truth. It, it is not the same as what Jesus tells us is truth. Um, yeah, I mean, for her, you know, the temptation is going to be that truth is the check from Netflix mm. for the rights to the movie. Mm. But at the end of the day, it comes back to Jesus making the assertion that truth is a person mm-hmm. and it's him. It's him. And it, yeah. So everything yeah. else is baloney. Yeah. And so that's the part of it when she's like, well, this is all false. She's it's like, right. You're absolutely right. It is. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think in some ways, like, I wonder, like, even with that conversation with Pilate, you know, there's, I mean, I've heard people sort of, you know, cause it's so open-ended that conversation, you can kind of insert whatever, you know, whatever, um, sort of underlying phil- yeah. philosophical argument du jour. You, what was you the know, subtext? He's a relativist. This is like the perfect conversation of, you know, a pie. This is relativism. Of pie. Well, what is truth? You know, it's, uh, it's such an arbitrary topic, you know, but um, it could be literally like that's to me, it sounds like a real disgruntled government official mm-hmm. who's like, ah, what, what, what are you even talking about? Like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm all I, you know, I, and that, you know, the fact that he's like, I have the power yeah. to save your life. You know, in some ways he's trying to assert, I get to define what's true here. It doesn't sound huh. also, he, he doesn't sound indifferent. I think a lot of no. people want him to sound indifferent. But his wife, I do, you, uh, I'll just recount the story in case you've not heard it. His wife even sends him a message. They have nothing to do with yeah. this guy. Yeah. I've had dreams about this guy. Yeah, get out of this situation. And he's yeah. like, every turn you read the story, he's trying, whether or not you call it cowardly or not, because he, if he really wanted to assert himself, he could have probably asserted his authority and made the 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 teachers of the day disappear. But however, he was dealing with a, a government that there could have been an uprising at any point. So yeah, he's trying to keep they, them all at they, peace. They just, you know, the shadow of the Maccabean revolt yes. was there. 
You know what I mean? When like they, you know, now zealots. explain is because I know the Maccabees yeah, yeah. from the story of Hanukkah. Yeah, um, they they were taking back the temple. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, ba- yeah, yeah. Basically, the the they they put they put a pagan symbol outside the temple, and that was sort of like enough is enough. Yeah. And then there was this war, and mm-hmm. they tried to take back. They took back the temple for a period, and then the Romans came in, and it was it was, it got, it was horrible. All over again. Yeah, horrible. Yeah. So so they always had that looming. So that shadow is yeah. yeah Jerusalem is a very. I mean, even to this day, when you go there, you get the feeling you're like this place doesn't feel stable. Mm. Everything I read, everything we, I mean, it's just anything at any time because there's so many different groups. I mean, specifically two different groups there that everyone's are, contending for it. Yeah, there's three really now. I mean, you have I mean, the the Christian mm-hmm. presence there is much more uh, passive. It's probably the most passive it's ever been mm-hmm. in terms of asserting its right to be there. Yeah, I think a lot of Christians have, you know, for the most part, said, "Well, we just support Israel's claim to be there." You know. And it's really interesting because you you look at the the that whole region and it's it's had conflict since as long as there have been people. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I and I could be wrong, but um, what was it? Oh, I was having this conversation with my son because he was going over in history when Israel was uh, recognized by the world now as a country, mm-hmm. yeah. which happens in nineteen forty eight. So it's in the forties, but. The last time that that was really a thing, that it was recognized by other people, it was before the Babylonian exile. Wow. So we're talking, that's a long time. So it was just a little bit, let's just, it wasn't a hop, skip, and a jump. There were definitely generations there, but a hop, skip, and a jump from David's time frame Uh to almost present day. The rest of the world, but this people has survived. And I am. It's crazy. So you think about that climate and you think about that's what Pontius Pilate mm-hmm. was sort of a secular governor and you know uh, I, I've heard all sorts of accounts that, that basically you know Judea was like a backwater town hmm. kind of like it was like a destination it was you know mm. sort of on the outskirts of the Roman Empire mm. so it you know, it's like, oh, and there's this people group here and we're trying to keep them. So he was probably put there as like a maybe a slap on the wrist. He either, got the job he didn't want. Either yeah. he got the job he didn't want or it was like, yeah, like it was a retirement gig or, you know, I mean, it's oh, like yeah. go to a resort town. But, you know, he probably didn't. He was like, I don't I don't I'm, I don't want to deal with this. Mm. This whole situation. These people want to kill him. They're trying to pe- scapegoat it onto me, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think the whole thing, but he was still complicit. You know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, mm-hmm. he's not neutral. He yeah. ultimately is exercising. And in some ways he represents sort of when sort of, this is what happens when government doesn't have a conscience mm. and government tries to say, well, we're just the place of checks and balances. And, you know, and this is, it's sort of like, it almost kind of pilot represents what happens when, um, when government doesn't have a soul, mm. you know what I mean? It doesn't take into account like the marginalized or like the people who are being taken advantage of or, mm. you know, doesn't advocate for the common good. Pilot sort of is like represents that thing that's like, that's ah, not my job. Mm. You know, uh, it's, it's not, not, not my concern. I'm going to wipe my hand. You guys can deal with this. Yeah. This is your issue. Mm. I, I, I think uh, with how Jesus handled that, 
I think it's such a good example for it. Now he's obviously Jesus is going to always have the right answers and what a yeah. big moment in history, you know, for that, you right. know, but Jesus being different, somebody, mm-hmm. something like Pontius Pilate had never seen. I I'm, I'm struck with a story that happened earlier this year where uh, the Virginia men's basketball team won the national championship and their coach is a solid, solid believer mm-hmm. in Jesus. And they told him, uh, you get this big raise. You won the national championship. And he said, I, I don't want the raise. I want my co my, you know, my assistant coaches to get it. I want the athletic department to get it. I want to build this, this thing. I, I want that. I want to share the wealth. I, my wife and I haven't what we need. Mm-hmm. And I mean, everything you read is like, who, why, why would somebody do that? It's different. That's just an example of, yeah. of being different, of, of talking about truth, of what to represent and how to stand out yeah. and not just go along with the flow. Yeah. Being countercultural. Yeah. You know, earlier when Matt was on the morning show, so we were talking to you about what was going on in your life personally and what you shared kind of went along with what I was feeling in regards to, yes, Tanya Harding, what a random thing to bring up. Maybe it sounds like, well, I haven't heard that name in a zillion years. Not random to her. She lives her life every day, right? Right, right, right. Reminds me how we love a good versus evil thing. And that truly, apart from Christ, does not exist because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So, uh, but I thought about the whole truth debacle. Like you clearly stated, he's a person. And yeah, unless we've associated truth with Jesus Christ, then we've we've really got a very shallow understanding of truth. And that's not to not to offend those who may not uh, identify with Jesus as being Lord. But this is how we believe truly. Yeah, and I think it's we're, it's not a, it's not a sliding scale of truth. It's a journey of truth. I think that people, anytime we get glimpses of like what they call the three trans three, three transcendentals. Anything that's true, anything that's good, anything that's beautiful, Mm -hmm. it like speaks to the soul. Yeah. And it points towards something that's that's just more complete, more fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh, well, I, you know, I don't like religion. I don't like spirit, you know, but, but, but I am, I'm in search of like a philosophical understanding of like, what does it mean to, to truth and that hunger for truth. Like what I would say is that I'm like, well, God put that there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so along the way, you're going to, you know, search for these instances or like moments that. or occasions where yeah. things feel true. But, but ultimately, and that's the thing as a Christian, I believe that Jesus is the fullest expression of the truth. Yeah. You can't get to the fullness of what truth is outside of the revelation of who Jesus is. And that might sound cocky, but that's our answer to your statement of how could a God let dot, dot, dot happen. It's because there's a broader understanding than what we can fathom here. And I have to, ultimately it involves a certain level of surrender, you know? And I think one of the things, like I said on during one of the breaks when we were on the show was that like um, very rarely have I met someone who's walked away from their faith who at some key moment in their struggle, in their disillusionment, there typically are interactions with other members of the church mm-hmm. that are irreparable in terms of the harm that they cause. Like, give an example. And not it's not a specific mm-hmm. example of somebody you know, but what you would something... Just, be- uh, yeah, I mean, people... Social media has been one of the, one of the most brutal ways. Mm-hmm. So you'll have someone who's like, 
struggling with their faith and then struggling with the world and day and age in which we live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, issues are important. There's a lot of social issues that get kind of brought up to the forefront and they kind of recycle in a way. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you can be going through a lot of personal problems and not get, and then these issues still matter to you. And in some ways they are a distraction from the massive personal problems you're going through. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard for someone who's like, let's say if someone's going through some sort of family breakup or, you know, it's very hard to navigate that and then also keep that present at all the time. It's just really, really difficult. You need a break from it. And sometimes issues, social issues can come across and you can find yourself gravitating to those for a multitude of reasons. One, because you care about, you know, whether it's racial injustice, you know, that's a, that's been a massive topic for like the past five years, really. It's, yeah. It hasn't left the national conversation. Right. So you can be a Christian and, and be secretly struggling with your faith, but this one area of racial injustice, you find hope in talking about it. Mm -hmm. But then you go online and you just get torn to shreds by other Christians who mm -hmm. disagree with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that ends up fueling your disbelief. Yeah. So people who are literally going like, well, I'm trying to like keep you quote unquote on the straight and narrow of following Christ end up being the thing that pushes people away. God. Yeah. And I, so much <laughs> of it, it's then that's what I'm saying. Like so much of it ends up being, so much of it ends up just being about people. Like mm -hmm. we, you know, we let, we give, when it comes to our faith, very, very few of us aren't affected by the people and situations around us. And I think we get, we get lost in our desire to disciple that yeah. we've never even figured out whether or not the person wanted our advice to begin with. Jesus said, follow me. And then they followed him and then he discipled them. But if they're not following mm. you, they don't need your discipleship. <laughs> It's like, yeah. okay, shut yeah. your mouth, Rochelle, because definitely we have opinions. And right. we feel, and I think it comes from a sincere place. It's like, I want to help you. Mm. I don't think that you're on the right track here, so I'm going to help you. But I can, I can reach out and say, may I have a conversation with you without just presuming that they do and then see, go from there. If they say, no, I'm good, then honor it yeah. and pray for them. And, and that's a possibility of... But I, I'm just going to speak for myself. Speak. I, I know that there's part of me that wants to help somebody, mm -hmm. but a lot of it can be fueled by, no, I want to be right. And I want to prove my validation wow. by how much I know on this issue. And you'll change your mind because yeah. I know a little more. And I just think that can creep up so much and yeah. how much we're typing on Facebook. Sure. Of, it's pride. It's just pride yeah. that comes out in so many issues that really aren't important. I mean, there's some that, that definitely are, but so many, especially when it gets into deep political things and, you know, the news stories that aren't even relevant to us. So you're saying it's pride disguised as sincerity. Yeah, I would say so a lot. Yeah. And, and, and I would ask you your thoughts on that and also how we fight that. Because in, instead of, you know, we talked a little bit about if you're dealing with doubt and what you'd say to somebody, what about people on how do how do we help? How can we stop yeah. being somebody that causes somebody to not believe in Jesus anymore? Condescending. Yeah. yeah. Help us not be condescending. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, know, you think you can tell Paul's, us how. <laughs> Paul's letters are full of correction. So to say that it's not it's unchristian to correct someone mm -hmm. is just 
That's just ignorance of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. Yeah. So, but I think you have to ask, your, you, have, you have to ask like how and what's the context in which Paul is choosing? Who's That's Paul it. correcting? That's the case. And what's the context? And how is he doing it? Um, very specific groups of people very, he's talking very to. Very specific, very small groups of people, very intentionally reaching out to people that he has a relationship with. He's doing it primarily in person. He's writing letters to reinforce probably things that he said in person. Mm-hmm. I, I've spent a lot of time. If someone said, what's the biggest thing that's not worried you, but what's the biggest concern that you've had on your heart like the past five years? I would say the past year, especially it's been the effect that technology and social media is having on Christian spirituality mm-hmm. specifically. I can't say for other kind of spiritualities cause I'm not a Buddhist, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. But for, but for the practice, the embodied practice of Christianity, um, I'm more and more concerned about the effect that technology and social media is having the effect that it's having on our ability to pray the effect that it's having on our ability to uh, embody the very presence of Christ to the world, the effect that it's having on our ability to be truly connected to one another. Mm. And I'm not thoroughly convinced that, um, that the bad is outweighing the good. And, um, but I'm open and every day I pray to God, show me I'm wrong and prove to me otherwise because um, God eternally hope springs eternal mm-hmm. in the heart of Jesus for humanity. But like what I would say is that if you're <clears throat> an older person and you're lonely, don't go to Facebook mm. because Facebook is designed to take advantage of your loneliness. It's making money off your loneliness and it's not bad. It's just, that's what it is. It's a company that makes money off people's engagement with the platform and it makes money off of advertising, but it wants you to be on there longer and it doesn't, but it doesn't care what you're doing or how you're doing it. It's completely impartial, but it's designed in a very impersonal way. Now it's all run by like a computer program. And so people are siloed. We, we saw that in the 20, I think ultimately in the 2016 election, and we're seeing it throughout these four years, people more and more are siloed in with basically surrounded by people who think the way they do, say what they do, act the way that they do. Historically, that's never really a good thing. In fact, what's so amazing about the birth of the church is that it was the church that broke. The Romans did that in Antioch. They separated everyone. Mm. The Greeks lived in one quarter, the, you know, um, the Jews lived in one corner. The pagans lived in one corner. They kept them separated literally by walls. So in Ephesians, when Paul talks about the dividing wall being brought down between us, it was a literal wall hmm. that siloed people according to their cultural backgrounds, their preferences, their thought patterns, who they thought was acceptable, who they thought was culturally not acceptable. And when people, the Gentiles started hearing the gospel, they started scaling the walls mm. to be with other Christians. Wow. Who were, who, because the gospel was transcending culture and politics and belief and all of that. And so my fear is that what tech, it's not, it's, 
technology is siloing us once again and, and separating us into specific groups of people who think specific ways and do specific things. And I just think that's antithetical to the gospel because the gospel wants you to find someone that you have disagreement with, but that what you agree upon becomes a way in which you're able to start to achieve common ground and work towards a common good in society. Is there a way to do that on social media? Is it, is there a way to, I mean, clearly, um, you know, walls are always going to exist. It's an unfortunate thing. It's this broken think, world. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I think that you need to, we just need to pray for, I, I guess, pray and work for people in the technology sector to have a profound experience of their humanity and a desire to use all of it to bring us together and not to make money hmm. because it it's more profitable if I keep people siloed because I can generate, I've got this one video over here that's paid for by this company that they pay the advertising money and they're paying, they're paying Facebook dollars. They're paying money for people to watch it. And if we spread it out, it probably won't get as much attention. But if we, if these people are all siloed and we can get them to see this one video, then it generates virality and it makes money. And, um, and that's not, it's, it's not necessarily bad. It's just sort of asking the question, um, like what's, What's the greater, like, we got to start asking, there's just important questions that we have to start asking about. Like, I'm, and for me, in the context of it is my kids. I want my kids to grow up in a world where they have an imagination, where they learn how to pray uh, with their imagination. Yeah. They don't need to look at a screen to do it. They can read their Bible and they can imagine those stories. You know what I mean? They can, Mm -hmm. they can put themselves in it. Um, I want them to grow up in a world where they primarily talk to people in person, that those are the people that they're really closest with. And that if they, if they really need to have a conversation that they know how to have it, it's crazy, man. Young people now, like so many young people, like they don't know how to talk to one another, mm-hmm. like for yeah. long periods of time. It's yeah. They're just sitting there on their phones. Yeah. You yeah. know, the hammer can be used to destroy, but it can also be used to, 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 to nail things to, together. To right? build up. So and that's, that's what I'm saying. We like, got to find, you just got to find ways to use it because it's incredible. Like these researchers um, who are researching um, molecular biology, they put molecules on the internet and they opened it up the code. They made it a video game. And um, these people basically designed molecules that helped further the cure for cancer. Wow. Like, see, that's great. Non scientists were playing a video game <laughs> and it's just that researchers were clever enough to figure out how to use the, use the, the structure of a video game in a way to get people to invent new molecular structures. Yeah. And they did. So like, that's the power of, you know, yeah. the, we can watch, you know, a revival could be breaking out halfway around the world and we could, someone could be streaming it and we can watch it in real time. Like we can stay connected with family in a way that we've never been able to before. So there's so much, like what you're saying, there's yeah. so much tremendous good. It's not inherently, that's what I was trying to say. Like, sure. it's, I don't think it's all inherently bad and it needs to go away. And the, even the, the programmers, tech, I mean, I maybe I sound naive. I don't know that they necessarily started out thinking, no, hey, is there no, no, a way no, no, no. that I can make money here? I no. don't, I don't think so at all. I just think what happened was, 
the tech is exploration, was exploration, and now the tech is neutral. But it's us, it's our responsibility to it bring is. truth, like we talked about, yeah. to bring love. And it's hard another. because ultimately it's this thing of like you're asking your you, like these people are like pilot. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are where they're sort of like it's like okay, well I'm in charge of this thing, right? And then we we have biases. We it's natural to who we are. Yeah, you know, I mean Google, it's pretty much, you know, been determined at this point that Google has a worldview. The employees of Google have a worldview mm-hmm. and they will target, they, they control the search algorithm. It's not like that search engine is not left up to a, a program that's impartial. Mm. People are constantly putting input into it, driving up certain search things. So when you type in a word, boom, the remainder of phrase that comes up, right? Some of that is driven by an algorithm, but it's, some of it's driven by an employee who works in the Bay Area. Wow. And and so it's like, yeah, like more than ever before, we just need to be, I, I, I'm more encouraged and kind of fired up about Christians reminding people, like I heard it said this way, that, uh, that evangelization is ultimately showing people the art of being human or the art of living. Mm-hmm. And that Christians could live their life in such a way that it's a work of art in and of itself. And so comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. Fully like embodied to the moment, aware of the presence of God in every situation. Yeah. And I feel like that's yeah. what people want when they're oh, looking man. for the answer to life. Free that's facade. what they're looking for. Yeah. They just yeah. don't. Yeah. Yeah. Ta- that's what Tanya's looking for. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> that's what Tanya and the rest of us. And, and I think that's when they when they see something genuine. Maybe yeah. that's why it's hard for them to believe because it's they've only been presented with what is surface level. Uh, this you is um, this is what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna have a whenever Matt Mar comes back, we're gonna have a part two. All right, uh, we're gonna have goodness. a part two. So much fun. Yeah. Thank you. I yeah. think when it, it, we could wrap it up by saying he's saying gamers are good, mm-hmm. tweeting is bad because yeah. like, <laughs> no, I think that's I'm what. Not. I'm- <laughs> <laughs>